used to live on 17th Ave, and I loved the place. It's a huge backyard, and it was usually filled with wood. So it was not my wife's favorite yard for that reason, because I have a truck, and one of the reasons I have a truck is you see something free or a good deal, you throw in the back of your truck, bring it back to your yard, and there it stays forever. But nonetheless, we would have tons of... Uh, logs back there that I'd be chopping up first of all with a chainsaw and then I'd be hitting it with my good old Fisker axe and uh, trying especially to only hit Aspen when my wife was around. Little little women plug your ears. Men if you totally want like to impress your wife you get Aspen logs because you hit it and it explodes apart and you just stand around and then she says well let me try. Then you give her a pine. <laughs> She'll it's awesome. <laughs> Amazing. Nonetheless, I, was, uh, I had this messy backyard. I'm trying to do stuff. And uh, this was not my finer moment as a dad. But we're uh, in the back alley trying to load up stuff. It's yucky, messy. It's uh, been raining forever. And I'm trying to load junk into my truck so I can take it to, uh, uh, a load to the dump. And the kids are getting in there. And I'm like, go, go, go mode. Like, let's go. I got an agenda. Let's go, kids. And uh, file him into that truck. And then I think it was Mateo, you know, he's just like this high, you know. But nonetheless, he's getting in my big truck. And I said, guys, just be careful. I don't want you to get in the truck all muddy, okay? Let's just move. Get in that truck. And I'm hauling stuff out, and I have my gloves on, and I'm hauling this old, old, heavy bathtub. And as I get it closer, I said, now be careful, because I don't want you getting all messed up or wiping out. Just get in there, and just please don't mess up everything. And then as I get it close to the truck, all of a sudden, Mateo's half slipping. I said, Mateo! And I gr- just grabbed the uh, bathtub with one hand, and I, come on, I told you not. And as I'm holding it, it swivels around, and wham, it hits my truck. That was maybe half a year new to me. Now, if you see my truck, it has this Nike swoosh symbol on the back, which is not supposed to be there. And that's from my bathtub. Ah, it was a two-hand job, this whole bathtub thing, but I grabbed one hand because of my stupid agenda, trying to help my kid. And uh, it swings around and does damage to my truck. So I don't even fix it, because it's just a reminder, just take it easy, you know? Swoosh, take it easy. (laughs) Nonetheless, today we're actually talking about, and I've scammed this from uh, Pastor Josiah Wall's sermon, because he actually preached on this many, uh, many months ago. And uh, when it comes to pick up your cross, you can't do that with one hand. And when he said it, like uh, many months ago, I thought, oh, that's, that's, that's brilliant. Because you, so many of us think we'd love to pick up the cross with one hand and still keep doodling around in the world with the other hand. But he calls us to such a great salvation, such a great discipleship that it's all in. Period. And somehow, which I'm going to touch on again, and you're going to hear for months on end is that we've somehow come across this Greek way of thinking that we can somehow parse out our lives and compartmentalize our lives, including our spiritual lives, that we give Jesus this, this is mine, that's yours, that's Sunday, that's Wednesday, that's Monday. And it's ludicrous as we look in Scripture, as we look what Jesus did and what Jesus gave, it doesn't make any sense. So when it comes to our discipleship, you can't just hold on to the bathtub with one hand and hoping that you can direct traffic with the other. We need two hands. Serious subject, so let's go to prayer. Father, thank you for who you are. And that's a big deal because our identity is if we understand your identity, or if at least we are moving toward knowing your identity, Lord, that has everything to do with our identity. Everything. So that's kind of why I say that. 
thank you for who you are and who that makes us. That to me is such a loaded statement when I say it probably almost every Sunday. Because it has everything to do with what we know of ourselves, what we think of ourselves, our emotion, who we do, who, who we are, how we act, has everything to do with our identity in Christ. And who are you, Lord? It's a great question. And some of us need to take more time to consider who are you? So, Lord, we want to come to this portion of Scripture where you say, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And help us to get more of a glimpse of what that means. Not just in our brains, but in our hearts, in our actions, in our parenting, in our loving. The way we approach our communities, the way we drive everything. That we would be disciples out there in the highways and byways of life. We give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we're going to start at verse 18, go to all the way to 27. But 27 is one of those pivotal verses that I talked about last week, where sometimes we look at the English version of our Bibles and we go uh, boldness to boldness, or this cutoff to this cutoff, and that's not given by God necessarily, that's just for help us to understand. But verse 27, the last verse we're going to read, actually messes with this portion of Scripture along with next week's portion of Scripture. So I'm not going to really touch on it home a lot this week. Nonetheless, Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 27. Here we go. Once, when Jesus was praying in private, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? And they replied, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, the one that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. You're going to remember that just a couple weeks ago, they asked the same thing, or he asked the same thing, and they gave the exact same answer. So these religious people, people that are considering him, this is what they keep coming up with, that maybe John the Baptist, but we know that Herod took, out, uh, took him out by uh, uh, chopping off his head, actually. And then we have Elijah, who lived way back then, and other prophets that have come back to life, perhaps. But Jesus says this pointed question, and I can see him kind of looking at the disciples like he would have with Peter that, that night he was betrayed, and he denied him. He says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Let's stop there for a moment because this, this is a very important question for us today. Who is Jesus? And who do you say that he is? And I'm going to say today that there's a good chance we can tell who he is by watching the way you live. Now, I'm not saying watch me every moment of every day because I have some less than shiny moments. But that's where I'm very thankful for the grace of God and my desire to live for him. You know, a, a good old... Okay, I digress. Away from my notes here. There is this... I was talking to Josiah this morning about the importance of paying attention to revelation and others when we're actually entering into worship. We're kind of homogenous in that we're a bunch of mostly um, economic, middle-class, white people that like these kind of songs. And I was listening to a worship leader that was just saying how important it is to look at revelation and realize that every tribe, every nation will be there. So who knows what the sound of worship is going to be like in heaven? Isn't that going to be cool? 
right? But it's not necessarily going to be the exact songs that you like. So if you're sitting here today and we're singing some old hymn and you're going, oh, when's it going to be over? One of the things that he encourages us to do is actually, you can stand here and if we, if we sing a song that you're like, ah, you can actually enter into worship realizing that somebody in this room is connecting with God because they love that song that you can't stand. But yet, how cool it is to worship together and realize this song is going to minister to them. Why I say that is, remember that old song, as a deer panteth for streams of living water, so my soul longeth after thee. Remember that one? That's an oldie. But that one has really captured my attention lately. What is my soul longing for? What am I dripping at the mouth for? What do I find myself daydreaming about? What music am I attracted to? My kids know right now because they're just so tired of Will Regan, I think. I keep turning it on because he has just such simple gospel message. I'm going, oh. So I'm listening to music all the time, which is trying to, which kind of shuttles me over to my gitalele, and I'm trying to learn these songs and enter into worship as I read and stuff like that. And uh, the panting for streams of living water, so my soul longs after Jesus. When it comes to raising my kids, when it comes to hanging out in the community, when it comes to loving my wife, when it comes to loving on you guys. So I think it's really important that my soul longs after something worthy. And that's what worship is, ascribing worthship. But you, White Rock Community Church, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. I find this so fascinating because you never know what you're going to get. Kind of like a box of chocolates. When it comes to Jesus, he says, go tell everybody, don't tell anybody. Go back home and tell your family, you don't tell anybody. Now you go, well, what, what am I supposed to do, right? But he keeps changing it on people. But here we see that he says, God's Messiah. And Jesus strictly warned them, don't tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed on the third day to be raised to life. Verse 23, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for, my, uh, for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self. Whoever is ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I'm going to read that again because we usually don't really attribute something like that to our precious Jesus. So whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. So there's a little bit of a tad or a taste of in end times, Jesus is set up as judge and there is also a, a proper judgment, a righteous judgment on how we have lived and how we have uh, the disposition of our hearts have leaned toward him or against him. Verse 27, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Next week we're going to look a little bit into the transfiguration. 
I think it's important that we actually look at another Bible translation. So we're going to look at the message in the same portion of Scripture. And listen to some of the simplicities that he brings from the Greek here. One time when Jesus was off praying by himself, his disciples nearby, he asked them, what are the crowds saying about me, about who I am? They said, John the baptizer. Others say Elijah and still others say that one of the prophets from long ago has come back. And then he asked, and you, what are you saying about me? Who am I? And Peter answered, the Messiah of God. Jesus then warned them to keep quiet, keep it quiet. They were to tell no one what Peter had just said. He went on, it is necessary that the Son of Man proceed in an ordeal of suffering, be tried and found guilty by the religious leaders, high priests, and religion scholars, be killed, and on the third day be raised up alive. Then he told them that they could expect for themselves. Anyone who intends to come with me has to, be, has to let me lead. You are not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way. It's, it's my way to finding yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? If any of you is embarrassed with me and the way I'm leading you, know that the Son of Man will be far more embarrassed with you when he arrives in all his splendor in the company with the, in company with the Father and the holy angels. This isn't, you realize, pie in the sky by and by. Some who have taken their stand right here are going to see it happen. See with their own eyes the kingdom of God. So if we've understood Luke's story so far with its strong hints of opposition from the Pharisees and also so with religious zealots, people way over here that go to church every Sunday and Wednesday night prayer meeting, and all the way over here, Herod, who wants to kill, doesn't want anybody that even smells like authority because he is the authority, he thinks. It'll come to no surprise that Jesus at once tells not just the 12, but anyone who wants to follow him that there is a dark and dangerous time ahead, right would help uh, remind us of. There's a dark and dangerous time ahead. So today isn't all about happiness and joy, what I'm going to be telling you about. He's actually calling us to a discipleship that sometimes as evangelists or, or televangelists, we've heard this glorious story that just received Jesus, all your problems will go away and suddenly your wallet will get fat. Not so. In fact, I think there's a lot of suffering when it comes to following Jesus Christ, including that of mental suffering, because there's constantly, there's this pull with the world and with Jesus and with our identity here on earth and our identity in heaven, constantly engaging our minds on a daily battle. In fact, um, Eugene Peterson called this portion of scripture the daily, the daily disciple. You can't just one day back in 1975 on a cold wintry, you can't. Whenever you became a Christian, that's fantastic. But it's actually a lifelong daily moment by moment decision to follow Jesus. 
Don't you find yourself when you're actually kind of sober thinking that you realize that so many times throughout the day, you have to make decisions. What you watch, what you think, how you treat somebody, how you get out of a grumpy funk, whatever it might be. We need to make daily, moment-by-moment decisions to follow Jesus Christ. To follow him. So the world is being turned upside down and anyone who wants to come through and be present when God's kingdom appears will have to be prepared to be turned upside down and inside out within it. Right again says. So if you're wondering what is this guy talking about, we're going back to the Beatitudes. So we know that this earth, we look at chronos, we look at time, and we look at efficiency, efficient, 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 and we look at money. And Jesus isn't doing that. Sometimes I'm going, Jesus, let's get a move on. Right? When it comes to sometimes our healing or our maturity, I've told people before, you know how hard it is to raise kids to maturity when you're not mature yourself? (laughs) Don't quote me, okay? But nonetheless, I'm just going, ah! You know, because the kid does something that hurts my feelings. And I want to go to my mom, you know? (laughs) Man, it's the worst. But he comes with his kingdom principles and he's twisting it all around, upside down. If somebody demands of you your cloak, give him your other cloak too. Somebody slaps you in the face, turn the other cheek so he can slap the other side. You're going, what? This makes no earthly sense. That's correct. Because it's heavenly sense. Because the kingdom has come here on earth. And we are the kingdom walkers, shall we say. The kingdom is being lived out with us because we subscribe to the values of the kingdom and not necessarily the kingdom of this world. Despite what the evangelists and televangelists may say, Christ is not calling us to a life of ease, of glamour, of comfort, whatever, but to the daily cross-bearing. Pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Now, listen. Who's Luke writing this to? He's writing this to a guy that's not even a Christian yet. Remember? Theophilus. So Theophilus is weighing. So if Luke really had some sense about him, he would have skipped this part and maybe even added a gift. If you respond in the next 30 days, you will receive this prayer shawl or whatever it might be, you know what I'm saying? But he doesn't. He's actually, to a non-Christian guy, he's saying, but it's not all glamorous because life in Christ isn't that great sometimes because you're living out these kingdom principles and the kingdom of this world hates it. You got to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow Jesus and a lot of people hate that. So he's laying it out right there, you guys. It's not always easy. This passage has two main parts. The prediction of what is to come, Jesus' suffering, his, uh, and the proclamation of a new way of suffering, picking up our cross to follow Jesus Christ. So the first thing, there's a lot of stuff in here, but three things I want us to really see is how important it is about our identification. Who is Jesus and who are you? Who is Jesus and who are you? Imagine if Jesus died and didn't rise from the grave. Imagine these poor disciples because their identity was wrapped up in who Jesus was. They had given up everything, left their fishing boats, left their way of life, and they followed this rabbi, this teacher, and he died. And what happened if he didn't rise from the grave? Their identity was wrapped up in Jesus. It would have been horrible. It would have been tragic. Because their identity would have been like, what have we done with the last three years of our lives? And yet this whole wrap-up 
in his identity had everything to do with how they lived and how they walked and how they acted and how they represented Jesus. And it's the same thing for us today. Our identity in Christ is really important. And if we know who Jesus is, is really important. In fact, when he says to the disciples, now don't go tell anybody, I think part of the reason why he said don't tell anybody, because he didn't just want words, you guys. He didn't want, I think you're God's Messiah. Because there was a whole lot of stuff that God the Father and Jesus knew had to happen. There had to be suffering. There had to be the death. There had to be crucifixion, death, and resurrection. All this had to happen. He didn't want any chance of the short circuit. But also, I think he wanted them to know that it's not just about Jesus is the Messiah with your words. He needed them to see him in action. This is the Messiah, and this is what the Messiah does. Does that make sense? And same thing with a disciple of Christ. You don't just say, I'm a Christian, or I'm a disciple. No, no, no. It's not just mouth. It's this is what a disciple does. This is how he acts. This is how he walks. This is how she makes decisions. So it's terribly meddling. And I think he's just showing that, as we talked about last week, this whole apprenticeship model, is that he's the mentor, he's the rabbi, he's the savior, he's the Messiah, and here he has, has these disciples come around him, and they are seeing it every day. They're smelling it, they're being with them, they're with him 24-7. They're watching his reactions and his responses. They're learning how to walk with Jesus. Jesus commanded his disciples to keep his Messiahship quiet. And as others that study the New Testament, they actually call this the great messianic secret in the New Testament studies. Verse 23 is terribly important. Two commands are issued. Bach says, deny yourself and take up your cross. So that's an errorist imperative. So it kind of has happened. It's a command, but it has happened. Errorist. And then the disciples can continually follow Jesus with his present imperative. So Aris, it has happened. It's a command that has happened. And in present imperative, it continues to happen. So he says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And again, we like to think, okay, I'm going to deny myself in this area. In this area over here, I'm going to pick up my cross. In this area, I'm going to follow Jesus. So we've gone, gone all Plato and we've gone Greek here. But you can't do that. It's, uh, it's the full meal deal here. It's the full meal deal. When even he talks about that, um, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Remember that part? Okay. Well, he's not saying just baptize them. And then teach them, and then obey. So the whole mindset here is the full meal deal, is that we go out and in our going, we make disciples, baptizing them in the Father, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. It's, it's one. You, does that make sense? And we dichotomize it, thinking that we can do all this stuff over a period of many, many years. But really, when you look at the Greek, or when you look at the Hebrew thought here, no, 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 no. And that's why sometimes we have folks that call themselves Christians, but it takes about 50 years to us to figure out that they are Christians because they just live like everybody else. And I'm not saying that you can look at me or, or somebody in here and say, oh, they got some, yeah. Because we all have issues. We all struggle in this walk with Christ. But a disciple is all in. 
He's calling us to be all in. So again, 23 is really important. Those two commands. Deny yourself is that aorist imperative. And then you have the other part that says, then disciples will continue to follow Jesus, the present imperative. This is not a calling just to wear a cross around your neck. In fact, you guys, when it came to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow Jesus, and then we like to wear a little cross around our neck, Wearsby likes to point out that they would find that ludicrous in Roman times here. Because it was the worst, worst, and most inconvenient and most shameful way to die. That would be like us, Wearsby says, walking around with a symbol of a gold-plated electric chair around our necklace. You know, we just laugh, that's gross and stuff. Well, it's kind of the same here in that the Romans wouldn't wear a cross around their night because it was a symbol of something gruesome. It was a symbol of shame, guilt, suffering, and rejection. And he's calling us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. In fact, commentator goes on to say, Jesus' swift movement from asking who they think he is, then to summoning them to follow him even to death, shows clearly, very clearly, that we cannot separate thinking from action in Christian faith. We cannot separate thinking from action in Christian faith. There's no half measures. In fact, years ago, I heard of something called Lordship Salvation. I'm going, what is that Lordship Salvationist? And apparently that is when you have Jesus as your Savior, but he doesn't necessarily have to be your Lord. What is that? What is that? Separating that, okay, I'm good now. If I die today, at least I won't go to hell. Uh, but over here, nobody in the whole entire world can tell that you have a relationship with Jesus because you probably don't have one. So it's really important that we realize that it's the full meal deal. No half measures. Jesus is Savior and Lord. But I'm going to be honest here and say that I think when we peel back the onion, we all struggle with something that Jeremiah nailed, that the heart of man and women... The heart of people is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? Remember that verse? Very meddling. The heart of man is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? In fact, I was reminded of that on the 12th of this month, actually. We saw the state of Indiana bury the remains of 2,411 aborted babies that were discovered in the garage and trunk of a renowned abortionist. The shocking discovery... The shock and discovery, um, it was commented on by a guy named Hill, who's in politics there. And he just said, regrettably, there is no shortage of depravity in our world today, including due regard for the most vul vulnerable among us. So I, I give you that example because on this example, we can absolutely see that it was despicable how unborn children were treated in life and also in death but I want to pause there for a second 
because all of us can say amen to that. But over here, we sometimes make excuses of how we live. There's Christian ways of nodding, off, nodding to some things that are not right, that are still depraved. Not good, but more acceptable. Right? More acceptable. It seems uh, some of the writers that I've been reading, godly folks that I've read and that I've been around, and they're just that, godly. But they drip with a humility, knowing that there is always a darkness ready and willing to ruin their reputation, destroy long-held relationships, or strain an enjoyed connection with the Trinity of God. I'm going to say that again. I know people and, uh, and writers, and they're godly, but they drip with humility, knowing that there's always a darkness that is ready and willing to ruin their reputation, destroy lifelong relationships, or strain an enjoyed connection with the Trinity. Do you know what I'm saying? A disciple like Jesus has shown here, needs humility. And when we identify with Christ, it is no longer me, but Christ lives in me. And so many folks, like I say, they are striving to know Jesus every day, but they know very certainly that if they take their foot off the gas pedal, there's always something lurking there that wants to take them out that wants them to travel down doubt, that wants them to ruin their marriage, that wants them to look into something they shouldn't be looking at. You know what I'm saying? There's always something lurking. Some writers call it reptiles. Reptiles are always available to try and get us off track in our relationship with Jesus. So identification is really important that we need to find it in Jesus. Secondly, he's talking about a suffering here. And I find it really interesting that uh, almost every time Jesus transitions into another big event, like choosing the disciples or, again, uh, calling them to deny themselves to pick up the cross and follow Jesus, it's always preceded by prayer. So it's kind of cool. This is a big theme in Luke. And Jesus, again, is alone praying, and his disciples are over there somewhere, and he's praying, connecting with God the Father, and debriefing about stuff, and then all of a sudden, who do you, who are people saying that I am? But yet he's praying first, and I think it's a great principle for us. He's connecting first of all to God the Father, and then he goes off into something that's a pretty major in his life. It seems every time that there's something important going on, a major move, it's always preceded by prayer. And I think it's important to touch on prayer again. Prayer of confession. Prayer of connection. And as I said before, as a deer pants for streams of living water. Can I back up there and just say, when a, a deer is being hunted down by a hunter... I mean, it is, in German, we would call, it would be yeshing. It would be, 
tongue sticking out and there'd be moisture coming out of its fur because it is running for its life. And then finally, when it gets a break and finds water, it drinks up that water as life-giving sustenance. As a deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul longs after you. So prayer of confession, prayer of connection, prayer of intercession. And sometimes that's all we think prayer is. I'm trying to do that with my kids these days. Instead of just putting them down to bed, Lord, thank you for this, this, and this, and we pray that you'd be with Auntie Shannon, pray that you'd be with Auntie Shiloh, pray that you'd be, and then amen, go to bed. Please go to bed. <laughs> but it's more than that, is it not? Is prayer not more than that? And should we actually confine prayer to five minutes before bed? Or is prayer, can, can prayer even enter our daily walk? One guy said, instead of devotionals, we actually live a devoted life. Realizing how important the incarnation of Christ is, that we can actually walk with Christ every day, moment by moment. Earnest prayer for separation from this world, being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And speaking of transformation, that's the third thing I want to talk about. And as I touched on again, is Greek thinking or Plato uh, is opposed to Hebrew thinking. There can't be this separation of thought and action. Go, make disciples, baptize, teach to obey. That's all one meal deal, like I said before. So Jesus laid down the stern requirements for discipleship. We must first say no to ourselves, not simply, not simply to pleasures or possessions, but to ourselves. And then take up our cross and follow Jesus daily. This means to be identified with him in suffering, identified with him in surrender, and identified with him in sacrifice. Wearsby says this. Discipleship is a daily dis discipline. We follow Jesus one step at a time, one day at a time, day in, day out, whether it be good, bad, or ugly. We're following Jesus every step of the way because we are disciples of him. We seem to sometimes think that and this is, I, I, I'm, I follow this conviction these days, is I sometimes think that today we think that knowledge is the answer, so just jam a lot of knowledge into the heads of these millennials and soon some are going to seep down into their hearts. Think about how many times you've even heard that on TV and stuff or when it, remember when it came to sex education. Knowledge, 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 knowledge is the answer. You guys, I watch people walk down the street and whatever they do, whether they're taking a shower, whether they're walking down the street, whether they are at work or whether they're in their car, they're always listening to podcasts and music. They never shut up and let the Holy Spirit speak to them or even have a moment of thinking, of meditation, of contemplation. It's always information, 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 information. It's nuts. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not saying information is bad, but I'm just saying at what point can you actually take some of this information, put it on the platter and say, Lord, what do you think of these thoughts? And actually grapple with the information. And sometimes I think we think that we can jam so much information up here and at some point your kiddos are going to, it's going to seep down into their hearts and boom, they're going to be disciples. But it's not just about cranium reform or cognitive reform. As we see here, it's about transformation. It's about the full meal deal. <clears throat> Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, which you all know very well. But listen again. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies, not just your minds, but offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your spiritual act of worship. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, even when it comes to making money, when it comes to thinking. Don't be conformed to this pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your thinking. So the constant renewing of your mind, that's how we're actually transformed. So we're being called to a transformation of what Jesus wants to do in our lives, no longer being conformed like jello in a mold, that whatever the world says, that's what we're going to do. But we actually have to grapple with the information. We have to grapple with what we see. We have to grapple with what Christ has said about himself. And that has to help in our transformation through the Holy Spirit of what's going on in our lives, in our action. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Josiah said in his sermon months ago, if we're living a life of surrender, it doesn't matter what's put in front of me because my life is no longer my own. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So it's really important, you guys, that as we're leaning into our relationship with Jesus, that first of all, we lean into our identification and for us to be identified with Christ, you kind of got to know Christ's identification. Who is he? And you got to answer the question that he posed to the disciples. Who do you say that I am? And there's obviously going to be some characteristics of self-sacrifice, of surrender, daily surrender to Jesus, which leads into transformation of who you are, how you think, and how you act. So let's take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit if we're all in. So let's bow this uh, at, at this moment. If you can um, bow your heads, close your eyes. And I just want to leave you with uh, just a couple moments here. Ask you these two questions. Ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, am I all in? And secondly, is there an area of your life that you're holding on to that is actually stopping you from experiencing a full and rich life with Jesus. Holy Spirit, just ask that you would come and uh, speak to your servants this morning. Heavenly Father, we, um, we trust that you have spoken by your Spirit. And as uh, the worship team said, that we just don't think about it, but you actually, Lord, we've asked the, 
with the psalmist to open the eyes of our heart, Lord, because we want to see you. We want to see you high and lifted up. So Heavenly Father, if there be a, a way within us that is not acknowledging your lordship, if there be a way within us that we are not recognizing your identity, if there is a way in us that we are not surrendering or a way in us that we are not submitting ourselves to transformation, Lord, put your finger on that this week. And I just pray that, Lord, we can, uh, through that identification, that you would, Lord, cause us to grow. Cause us to grow in our discipleship. Lord, we love you, but most amazingly, you love us. And we just want to respond to that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Take me home.